Sports are back. Save 40% while you're at it at The Athletic if you want to come on and subscribe. If you listen to this podcast and you don't subscribe to The Athletic, what are you doing? I'm a writer who they just let talk. You can come on and you can read my stuff. And if you don't even want to read my stuff, you can read about 100 people who are better than me. So come on, subscribe to The Athletic, especially now that sports are back. You can get 40% off. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe and save now. Sign up to see your set for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams or any other kind of analysis or follow-ups from games, features, all the stuff that we have on there. So go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Welcome to a new episode of Wizards After Dark. Following the Wizards' 118-110 loss to the Nets, it was a game that Wizards... I guess if you're rooting for the Wizards to make the playoffs, this was a game that probably broke your heart because the Wizards came in too back of being able to force a play-in for the eight seed. If they had beaten the Nets, that's one more loss for the Nets. It's one more win for the Wizards, and they're one back of forcing a play-in, and they end up losing another three back of forcing a play-in with six to play. And the Wizards have, of course, all good teams remaining because they just lost to Phoenix and just lost to the Nets, who were missing half of their roster. But after the Phoenix game, I had Dave Dufour on, and I think it was it was just kind of a negative tone. And usually, you know, even though I cover a 24 and 42 team, usually this is a chipper pod. This is a happy pod. People listen to it because sports are fun. So we're going to. We're going to be fun about sports today, and uh, I've said on this podcast about 482 times that the, being able to go to Orlando was basically a win-win for the Wizards. Either you make the playoffs and it's because your young guys carried you there, or you have an opportunity to develop young guys and and you still have a great or a, a, a better draft position than if you had gotten into the postseason. And I thought there were encouraging things in this game. And on the Skype line to talk about it with me is our Nets reporter, Alex Schiffer. Who is apparently not turning off his phone? That was your ex-producer, um, Mike Schmeltz, crashing the party. <laughs> Keep, keeping the phone right up against the microphone. Yes, um, that's how he goes. Though I, I, I'm, I don't want to give him that much publicity, though, because he's also been beating the uh, the. Greg Popovich is going to coach the Nets next season drum, and he's gone from like 0% to 5%, so that's enough credit for him for the day. 0% to 5%. That's that's a really depressing thing to be at 5% about. You know, I um, I sports fandom is an interesting place, Fred, and to the reader that emailed me saying that the Nets coaching search is pop or bust – I don't really know what to say on on that front. I think in that case, you say bust. <laughs> I think that's what you say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, Alex does great work for us at The Athletic covering the Nets. Um, where are we starting? So just some quick stuff before we before we start off in case you happen to be listening to this thing and, and you didn't actually watch Sunday afternoon's game. So, so I thought the Wizards struggled defensively. Offensively, things looked better. Troy Brown, I thought offensively, was was quite good. He had 22, 10, and 8. Thomas Bryant 
the the nets were just sagging off of him and daring him to shoot jumpers and he was like that's fine by me and just made all of them 30 points and 13 boards and made four out of six threes and i just thought he played a really good offensive game and i actually thought um he 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 played much better defensively i thought i just thought it was a really good all-around game from thomas bryant and and, and i i i i was encouraged seeing one of the things Alex that I brought up a bunch on this podcast and that I've written about is that Thomas Bryan is a very, very good offensive center, but like most centers, he's still a center who needs some sort of guard or wing to be able to do the creating for him and put him in a position to score. And then once he's in a position to score, he's very good at scoring, but 80% of his buckets this year were assisted and half of those were from Bradley Beal and there's no Bradley Beal. And who's going to be the really good facilitator for Thomas Bryant to put him in a position to score? And, and I, I always thought Troy Brown was the intuitive answer to that question. And we saw some really nice Troy Brown, Thomas Bryant pick and rolls tonight. Troy looked very patient. Thomas did a very good job finishing and 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 running his his routes to put himself in a position to score and popping sometimes off of them. I, I just thought I thought those guys had a really nice synergy. Yeah, you know, uh, I've I've watched Thomas Bryant a long time, actually, because when I was at Missouri, he was a recruiting target for them because their his high school coach, Rob Fulford at Huntington Prep, was on Missouri staff, and, and he was kind of a guy they know business recruiting. I always thought that he was a traditional five that couldn't – the thing that blew my mind is I, I've never seen him shoot three-pointers like that, whether it was at Indiana, in, in high school, you know, when he was with the Lakers. I, I just thought that he, he looked like a true stretch five today from the offensive standpoint. And, and a really good one at that. And uh, as you said, you know, with Troy Brown, I, I remembered him a little bit at Oregon, but I, I didn't, um, I you know, Pac-12, East Coast, West Coast, you don't really watch a lot with the time change, um, unless you're a big fan. Like, I I thought he was, having only watched the Wizards a handful of times, the Nets have played them this year, I was really impressed with him, and more so than Rui Akimura, honestly. So I, uh, I feel like if you're a fan there, and, and the other thing I was thinking about, kind of touch lapping these two together what was is there a game that was lacking in the bubble that is lacking more star power than these two teams combined i mean how many teams is missing this many combined stars in a game you know, so so for both teams i thought the young guys were on display but but definitely the wizards rookies were impressive or, or young guys i should say thomas isn't a rookie yeah yeah no they were those two guys were good like those two guys were good troy i didn't think troy played a great defensive game like he, especially in that fourth quarter when Joe Harris hit those two threes, Troy, Troy, that second three that Harris hit in the fourth near the end of the game, which I, which really might have been the shot that sealed it. Troy, that was a heck of a shot, and it was. But Troy just kind of forgot about him. Troy just kind of forgot he was guarding Joe Harris, and uh, ended up just kind of hanging around the nail. And once the pass was in the air and over his head, he kind of had this look of like, oh, crap, and started rushing over to Joe Harris, and it was not a good defensive play. And look, he's 21 years old. 21-year-olds do such things. He'll, uh, I think he'll get better at that, but that's a thing he needs to iron out. But look, this this to me, this is not just an example of like Troy Brown and Thomas. This is not just an example of well, there's nobody else there. So, of course, Troy Brown had 22, 10, and 8. Because there were moments this year where the Wizards were missing tons of guys. There's that Miami game earlier this year where they famously beat Miami because Jordan McRae and Jan Mahimi and Garrison Matthews all had 25-plus points, and they beat Miami when everybody was hurt. 
And Troy Brown did not have 22 and 10 and 8 in that game. And I think part of this is that Troy is in a position to where he's able to be assertive now. Like he's able to play with this kind of pace because of the role he's in with no Beal. And, and he has to take that role. And nobody is challenging to take that role from him. I think it's easier to play like that. But I think we got some Troy Brown development. I think Troy Brown's just a better player right now than he was four and a half months ago. I, I just I just think he's better. I think he's improved. And as for Bryant, like Bryant took five threes a game when he was in the G League a couple of years ago. But it's the G League. Everybody shoots threes and everybody shoots them at an acceptable rate. It's just like you go down to the G League. If I went in the G League, I would shoot 37% from three. And then they put me in an NBA game and I would be crying hysterically by three minutes into the first quarter. You just go to the G League and you shoot 37% from three. And that's what happens. I think Thomas Bryant could shoot 40% from three on a legitimate volume. He's at he's at 40% this year on a small volume. I think if he shot on a large volume, I think he could shoot 40% from three. I think he's a good shooter. His mid-range shooting numbers are always really, really, really good. I think he would shoot yeah. 40 from three. He had a couple today, I want to say by the elbow, that, that went in two in the mid-range game. The guy that I was kind of looking at going into this game, you know, the, the Nets played the Wizards, I think it was like two or three weeks apart in the regular season. They were both in February uh, at their place, at least that I remember. And those two kind of cobbled together for me. But the, the guy that I was kind of looking at going into the game was Shabazz Napier, just because one of those games, if you remember, he gave the Nets a whole lot of problems. But he wasn't really a factor today compared to the guys we've already been talking about. He he was the one that kind of circled that they, they just didn't have an answer for him in one of those two games. No, no, he didn't. He didn't play well today. No, he didn't play well today. Um, he didn't. He didn't really show up. I I, I think. I I think it's going to end up being Ishmith being their backup point guard next year over him anyway. Ish is under contract. I think if you pull people around the league and ask who's a better point guard, Ishmith or Shabazz, I think Ishmith ends up being the answer on that. And he's already under contract. So I think it's going to end up being Ish. But yeah, Shabazz, Shabazz didn't have it today. Ish outplayed him today. And he and Ish are, are honestly very similar players. So you ju- they just kind of have the luxury of closing with whomever's playing better. And that's fine. Um, what do you think of Rui? Nets, Nets went at him hard with doubles. He had a hard, he had a, he, he went absent today, but he had a hard job today. Like the Nets, Nets were going after him hard with doubles. And it's funny because I know you you tweeted something out that Jock Vaughn said uh, about the guys who were the focus of the Nets defense were, I think he said, he said, Ish Smith, Thomas Bryant, Jerome Robinson, and somebody else. I can't remember whom. Uh, he, Shabazz, Shabazz was under on the Nets as his, as his position coach. And, and he didn't say Rui. Uh, and then the game plan very much said Rui. They were they were concentrating on Rui, no question. Uh, and I thought Rui kind of struggled figuring out how to open himself up and put him in a position for shots. Like, what do you think of the way the Nets defended him? Yeah, I thought they did a pretty good job. I mean, their game plan was, and I thought that. It was interesting in that you know Jared Allen is is their really their lone center on the roster right now. I mean they had, they signed Dante Hall from the G League kind of for depth purposes, but Jared Allen was out there almost the entire game. Look at the box score. Yeah, he was there. Uh, yeah, he played 38 minutes today. Wow. So you know I, I kind of figured that they were they were going to kind of be careful in how they put Jared on certain guys because if he gets in foul trouble, there goes a very large part of the game plan. 
But no, I, I thought that that they did a pretty good job on him, and I, and honestly, I I can't even remember a handful of times. I mean, he had that dunk that he kind of got through the lane for towards the end of the game, um, but he didn't really he wasn't really much of a factor at all. And, and they got him the line a little bit, but the, I mean, for most of the game, they as you said, it was a lot of the guard play that was killing them and and letting keeping the Wizards in the game and, and vice versa. Just you know, obviously it was a back and forth game, but I, I thought they did a pretty good job of of helping on him and not having Jared Allen take the full load there. And I mean, obviously, you know, their fours are even undersized. Timothee Luau-Cabarro and, um, you know, that, that position as a whole has been a revolving door. Lance Thomas hasn't really given the Nets much of anything, in my opinion, in the two games he's played. But I thought they did a good job of even putting Lance on Rui when he was out there as the more physical of their fours and, and really kind of limiting Jared Allen's exposure to him uh, to keep him out of foul trouble. Jared Allen was really good today offensively i thought he was very good obviously you know stretch fives have killed the nets all year long um defensively obviously he had issues with thomas Bryant. yeah i don't don't know how much it was his fault yeah it was so much of it look there were definitely plays where he he was kind of a little sloppy in pick and roll coverage and was taking advantage of no question but like their schemes were let thomas Bryant shoot jumpers those threes were open and, yeah. and to Thomas Bryant's credit, he took them and he made them. And that's all he could do. You go four for six from three. I don't care how open your threes are. Four for six from three in an NBA game is really freaking good. Thomas Bryant did a great job with it. But those threes were open. It was very clear. Brooklyn's game plan, they were going to drop against Thomas Bryant. And they were going to let him say, okay, beat us with jumpers. And Thomas Bryant didn't beat him with jumpers because Brooklyn won the game. But he made it a lot more difficult for Brooklyn to 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 win that game because he because he hit so many of them. So I, I don't know how much of Thomas Bryant's scoring effort tonight had to do with Jared Allen as much as it just had to do with that's the way the Nets wanted to guard Thomas Bryant. And Thomas Bryant was like, oh, no, you can't guard me this way. You know, I, I agree with that. I, I would say I, I definitely think Allen doesn't deserve the full blame. I, I would say just looking at the Nets season – they have essentially, um, going back to the, the first two games of the season, they have essentially dared stretch fives to shoot on them, and it has not gone well at all. And it seems like that's that remains their organizational philosophy, at least right now, is that we're going to give them those shots, and if that's how it goes, so be it. And and it seems like so far they're not they're not going to change on that at all. So we'll see maybe if that changes next year, but. The, the other thing is, is that they don't really have a guy on the roster, as you were kind of saying, that um, that is built for those guys. You know, maybe rookie Nick Claxton down the line, but as you said, Jared Allen's traditional five, DeAndre Jordan, they don't really have a, a front court player on this current roster, especially that you know could go on, you know, can hold his own on the perimeter anyway with those guys. So I agree that that Allen doesn't deserve a whole lot of blame there. Chris Chioza, man. That's, you know, that's, I, that's my I, that's my uh, changing topics. Just saying, Chris Chioza's name. I I I'm in New York, so I watched the I watched the Brooklyn feed because it wasn't on League Pass. Obviously, it was it was on the Brooklyn feed locally, and they're the Nets announcers are just so good. Ian Eagle is so good, and Sarah uh, Kustak is great. Goat. Yeah, I uh, would there have been a betting line? on next time on uh with the way vegas has kind of gotten so creative you know remember they had lines on peyton manning yelling omaha like is there gonna be an iron eagle cheese line for when the bucks on Tuesday? every time chris chioza did something iron eagle made a new cheese joke 
And it was uh, when he when he when he had that little pump fake and then scoop shot. It was cheese slice. He had a <laughs> he had that layup and he cheese called it a cheese roll. Oh my god, that was hilarious. It was great. Uh, he, he's a treasure, man. He he's the best. He's hilarious. Um, I see. I it's funny if, if Jared Allen cares the Virgin place well. I thought a low key storyline um, for the uh, the game would have been Chris Chioza playing against the Wizards who cut him before uh, he signed with the Nets, gets benched in favor of Tyler Johnson, and then, as you you tweeted it yourself in the second quarter, he was killing their defense. And I I thought that was a low-key storyline just that that ended up getting dominated by others just in that Wizards kind of, you know, push him aside in, in January. He signs with the Nets, heats up for them before the pandemic started. And uh, then start gets his first NBA career start on Friday, benched for the veteran Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson comes in and plays bad, and Chris Gioza comes in and just torches everybody. And Ian Eagle capitalizes on it in a phenomenal way and that should be broadcast throughout every sports journalism class in universities this fall. Well, he was just – every time he wanted to, he was getting in the paint. Yes. Every time. And, and and you know what? I I the Wizards defense, man, it's still not the best. There's there's still not the Bad Boys Pistons. Cuz like Chris Chioza is just being like, "You know what? I am going to get to the paint and then doing it." And then he's kicking the shooters or he's finishing around the rim. Karis LeVert was getting to the rim whenever he wanted. We didn't even talk about that Jared Allen dunk on Thomas Bryant. Whoo. Ooh. That was that that was Ooh. that was nasty. That was something. That was like normally normally when a dunk when a dunk goes down, I feel like it has to go down cleanly for the most part to be a great dunk. If it like rattles around and then goes in, it's not it's just not as cool of as as a dunk. Like you have to flush it, you know? But that was a cool dunk. Because uh, that know, was that was more of a thrunk. I think he might have thrunked it. He might have thrown it in. Yeah, I um, I'm gonna send this to you when we're off air. But Jared Allen and all the listeners should YouTube this. Jared Allen had a dunk earlier this year on on uh, Mike Muscala that was a thrunk. He he threw it in and he just baptized the guy. That's to me his best dunk this season. But I, I don't know about you, man. But when when that went down, you know. That was probably one of the first times since this all started. Obviously, we're all happy to have sports back. We have stuff to write about. But, you know, to me, the best part about in-game dunks are the crowd reactions and the bench reactions. And it, to me, it's just not the same with, with everything going on. You, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. that to me, that's when the icing is really on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what? so what are, what are, what are like the things that are the best? I guess like the game-winning shots that we've seen are, are obviously worse without the fans. Mm-hmm. I have to say, it is the opposite in baseball. The walk-offs in baseball, like the 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 Orioles social distance celebration that they had when they hit a walk-off the other day, was great. It was hilarious, and it was more entertaining than seeing the crowd go crazy and seeing them mob the guy at home plate. It was hilarious. All the guys jumping up and down six feet from each other, putting their hands in the air. And it was incredibly funny and charming and wholesome. And it was great. And I really 
am glad that I got a chance to enjoy that before baseball goes away forever in the next like 48 hours. But <laughs> I, I, I think it's great. The celebrations in baseball have been great now with that. There was another team we did it to. I forget what it was, but I really enjoyed it. And, and with like LeBron hitting a game winner on that first night, there just wasn't really much of a reaction, obviously. Um, there are parts of things that are good. Like, uh, like there was a play in that Houston Dallas game the other night where the whole Houston bench went nuts and you could hear them and you could see them celebrating and it was obvious it was right there. You could hear them. And I was like, that's, that was cool. It's cool to see that kind of organic reaction from an NBA team during a regular season game. That's like a cool thing, but but yeah, I'm with you. A cool dunk, a game winner. I'm sure, there are other plays. What are, are there? Are there other plays where we're like, oh, I wish there, there was. This would be better if there were fans. Um, you know what's been interesting is that um, I haven't. I remember. I, I can't remember who brought it up before this all started, but people had talked a lot about um, would free throw shooting be impacted during all this because you don't have. Like, I the, I brought that up. That okay. was me, my friend. Um, so take all the credit you want. I don't care. Um, just like the baseball talk, I'm a Mets fan. I can't relate to any socially distanced walk-offs. I can relate to star <laughs> players leaving almost uh, – Yeah, you, you know, can relate to walkouts. <laughs> Lovely. That was well done. Um, but um, you know, I, I, I also think um, some of the and one plays, you know, like a, like a four-point play or uh, you know, the, the and the foul – um, when the ball kind of is teetering or going around the rim and then, you know, you hear the whistle that falls through with that extra crowd reaction. Uh, there, there's a couple of times that I've I've had to remember that that, you know, if you don't hear the whistle now, because you know, usually there's a crowd reaction right after a play like that. So if you don't hear the whistle, I feel like, you know, there's one or two times I, I looked away and I had to look up like, oh, that was an and one because you, I think you kind of you kind of react based on the the crowd reaction sometimes if you don't see the whole thing or you don't have that reassurance in a way. I think that's a good one. I think that's there. I think that's a good one. And what what else we got? We got anything else from this game before we wrap up? Um two other th- uh, two other thoughts I had was um other crowd reaction when a guy's really heating up, you know, uh Joe Harris had two straight threes. Um uh, when Thomas Bryant was on his hot streak, you know, I think a crowd kind of plays into that when a guy's really hot. Um, and the other thing I was thinking about is just the next time we talk, I was thinking about this going into this. Will the next time we talk be about the Nets making a legitimate offer for Bradley Beal? Will there be another collaboration between you and I before the Nets play the Wizards next season? Oh, man. I don't even need to deal with that right now. Oh, God. Bradley Beal trade talk is going to be the death of me. Oh, you, you don't cover the you don't get asked about it every mailbag. I don't feel bad. Oh, for you. yeah, I do, I do. I just don't get asked about it with the the Nets. I get asked about it about the Nets, and then I get asked about it with the Lakers, and I get asked about it with the Heat, and I get asked about it with everybody. I'm gonna start getting asked about it with like uh, CSK Moscow. I'm just gonna start getting random teams that aren't even in the league. Well, if I if I the Calgary Flames are gonna be starting asking about it. I'm not trying to turn this into a Nets podcast, but since it relates to Wizards fans, based on the way Karis LeVert and Jared Allen played today 
And knowing that those guys would be in a 10-man rotation along with Kevin Durant, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan, after what you saw today in this game, do the Nets look more threatening next year with a team like that or if they had to try to make an offer for someone like a Bradley Beal? After what we saw off of today's game, where both guys were excellent, but would have very different roles, obviously, on a team like that next year. I mean, I think the answer is Bradley Beal, unquestionably. Do we do we know that Karis LeVert can be efficient enough to be a solid scorer? Do we know that? Because he wasn't close to that the last two years. No, and I, I think it's a tough question to answer because some of his best games have been on very efficient shooting. And even look at what he did in the playoffs last year where he I think it was he was shooting both around 50% from the floor and from three. Um, I feel like he has the potential to, but injuries have not allowed us to answer that question per se. And you know, he was also heating up prior to the, the league shutting down. Um, I So I guess the answer is no, we don't know. But I think there's evidence to suggest that he can be. Um but he, you know, whether it's injuries or, or world events, uh, we we haven't really had the sample size to definitively answer that question. Yeah, is, is that answering that question, or is that kind of like saying, "Well, we can't really answer it's it"? It's saying we can't really answer it, but that's fine. I mean, the thing you have to keep in mind is I see all the time Karis Levert could be the centerpiece of a Bradley Beal trade. Karis Levert is like a year younger than Bradley Beal. Yes, like one year younger. He's like thirteen months or fourteen months younger than Bradley Beal. Karis LeVert had a 47%. I just checked. Karis LeVert had a 47% effective field goal percentage this year and 51% true shooting. Well below league average. Yes. So he's a. Don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing Karis LeVert's not a good player. Karis LeVert's a very talented player. I'm just. Karis LeVert's a year younger than Bradley Beal. He's going to be the centerpiece of a Bradley Beal trade. I don't know. I think you need a lot more than that. If I'm the Wizards, if I'm the Wizards and Bradley Beal says. I'm out, which, by the way, he hasn't. Yes. But and keep forgetting that, but that's not going to stop them from asking us anyway. Yeah, but they, I, I, I need a lot more than Karis LeVert. That's it. I see everybody throwing Karis LeVert in there as a way to get. Oh, that makes sense. Give the Nets a good. Give the Wizards a good young player. Guess who's a good young player? Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal's no, a good young I, player. Completely. And I think you can't help but wonder with when when John Wall comes back next year, and you know keeping those two alongside that that what we saw today is those guys gain experience. I, I do think they'll be an interesting team to kind of see how that all fits. I just wonder from the Nets perspective, if or from the Wizards perspective, like who do you want on the Nets that, as you kind of said, helps you grow for the future that that you can also send a trade around, as you said, you know Bradley, you know. Can Karis LeVert kind of coexist with Bradley Beal and John Wall? That, that'd that be interesting to me. I, I guess so. Um, I don't know who, you know, Thomas Bryant looks good. I mean, Jared Allen obviously is a very nice piece, but, you know, they, they kind of, can they be on the floor at the same time? I, I, you look through the roster, I just, Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, with John Wall already there and, and, um, I, I, and, and Ish Smith kind of being an up and coming point guard. I, I just, if you're the Wizards, I just don't know who's the most appetizing player on the Nets roster that, that that you'd want to kind of build with and go along with some of these other young guys. Yeah, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. There you go. Just yeah, go for I that. Those guys are gonna. Yeah, <laughs> especially yeah. I don't I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know about that either. Um, anything to plug before we wrap up? 
Uh, I'll have something tomorrow on on um, on this game, um, and then we'll kind of see on, on how the rest of the week. The, the who do the Wizards have? Like the the Nets have the Bucks and the Celtics, so it's going to be a pretty gruesome week probably before they have the Kings on Friday. Who now? Who do the Wizards turn their attention? Yeah, to? Yeah, so this should be out. Since we're recording this thing on Mon- on Sunday night, the Wizards play on Monday against the Pacers. Actually, before we wrap up, I do want to say to the listeners, I'm doing, uh, I think what'll be a pretty cool episode on Monday. I'm going to do that thing where I start it in the fourth quarter of that game. And I'm supposed to right now have a really, a really cool guest that I'm really excited about. So if you listen to this one, if you listen to the episodes, normally you like the post game episodes and all that, make sure you tune in to, to, it'll be tomorrow's episodes. That's going to be up either Monday night late or, or Tuesday morning, and uh, make sure you tune into that episode because I I think that is obviously it hasn't been recorded yet, but I think that's going to end up being a, a really cool episode. I'm really excited about the guests that I'm having. Um, subscribe to Wizards After Dark. You can sign up if you're just listening to this episode randomly. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Head on to iTunes if you like the show. Give us five stars. Leave a review if you want to read my work or Alex's work over at The Athletic, but you're not a subscriber and you think $5 a month is just too much to subscribe. You don't want to do it, but if it were just like 40% cheaper, you would do it. I can give you a 40% discount if you go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark. That gets you 40% off on an annual subscription. That's $36 for the year instead of $60 for the year, $3 a month instead of $5 a month. Again, that's theathletic.com slash wizards after dark for 40% off on an annual subscription, which comes out to $36 for the full year. Um, Thank you very much for coming on, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you. And shout out to our mutual friend, Danny Wexelman, who was upset we didn't give her a plug the last time we had the, when we uh, went over our, our mutual, uh, our, our shared alma mater. There you go. That's perfect. I've never done a podcast shout out before, but I, I make exceptions for the right people. Well, it's the necessary move. I'll be back in like 24 hours or less. I'll talk to you guys then.